everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Classic English Literature Subcast. And if you celebrate, happy Easter. If you don't, let me do it a little explainer. Easter is the festival in which Christians celebrate the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. They believe he's the Son of God, and his resurrection is meant to ensure the salvation of the faithful. And it's therefore the most important holy day in the Christian calendar. While there have been recent moves by some evangelical sects to rechristen the feast Resurrection Sunday, the old name Easter has persisted. But from where does this come? Well, do you remember our old buddy, the Venerable Bede, first English historian, author of the history of the English church and people, and all-around swell guy? He gives us the only known explanation for the curious name in a work called The Reckoning of Time. He indicates an early Germanic dawn goddess named Estra as the namesake. Quote, Estramonath has a name which is now translated Paschal Month, and which was once called after a goddess of theirs named Estra, in whose honor feasts were celebrated in that month. Now they designate that Paschal season by her name, calling the joys of the new rite by the time-honored name of the old observance. I've also enjoyed the idea that the East is where the sun rises, right? She's a dawn goddess, so the archetype of new life, renewal, reverdy, flatulent deer. But you get a nice pun with rising sun, with Jesus as the rising sun, S-O-N. There have been some scandalous rumors that Estra's spirit animal was the hare, hence the Easter bunny. But that seems to have been entirely the invention of Jacob Grimm in the late 18th centuries. Fake news. I think it rather more likely that a rabbit's vaunted reproductive abilities are a more likely source. And, you know, the eggs too, right? New life. The ham? Well, that's just delicious. But don't go putting that nasty pineapple on top. That is so cloying and ugh. Anyway. I've got a poem here from a Scots poet named William Dunbar from the late 15th to the early 16th century. He called himself a makar, a self-consciously artistic court poet. We used to call the group of poets with which Dunbar is often grouped the Scottish Chaucerians because of a rather obvious debt to the great man's style and subject matter. But let's let them stand on their own. Well, Dunbar anyway. His poem, Dona is a Battle, is an Easter hymn which, as in other medieval texts, including the Dream of the Rood, Piers Plowman, and even the Ancrenoisa, heroically portrays Jesus' resurrection as a joust, a fight with the devil. Christ is a knight who will ransom the lost souls in his harrowing of hell. Now, I'm not going to try to do a middle Scots accent with this poem, Uh, My modern Scots accent is an affront to a great and noble people. So here's an English version. Done is the battle on the dragon black. Our champion Christ has confounded his force. The gates of hell are broken with a crack. The triumphal sign of the cross is raised. The devil trembles with hideous voice. The souls are released and to bliss can go. Christ with his blood our ransom pays, Sarexit Dominus de Sepulcro. Overcome is the deadly dragon Lucifer, the cruel serpent with death all stings, 
The old fierce tiger with his teeth on show while in wait has lain for us so long, thinking to grip us in his claws strong. The merciful Lord would not that it were so. He made him for to fail of that prize, Serexit Dominus de Sepulcro. He for our sake that suffered to be slain, and like a lamb in sacrifice was given, is like a lion risen up again, and as a giant raised himself on high. Born is Aurora, radiant and bright. On high is gone the glorious Apollo, the blissful day departed from the night, Serexit Dominus de Sepulcro. The great victor again is risen on high, that for our sins to the death was wounded. The sun that waxed all pale now shines bright, and darkness clears, our faith is now reborn. The bells of mercy from heaven are sounding, the Christians are delivered from their woe. The Jews in their error are confounded, Serexit Dominus de Sepulcro. The foe is chased, the battle is done. The prison broken, the jailers fled and banished, the weariness is gone. Confirmed is the peace. The fetters loosened, and the dungeon opened. The ransom made, the prisoners redeemed, the field is won. Overcome is the foe, despoiled of the treasure that he kept. Serexit Dominus de Sepulcro. I think the translation's quite good. Um, but like all translations, we got to give up something. We still get a good sense of the poem's alliterative verse, which remained popular in Scotland for nearly a century after it had passed its uh, English sell-by date. Some of the sound effects are preserved, like those snappy K sounds in black and crack. But Dunbar also uses a pretty interesting rhyme scheme, which gets lost in a non-Scots version. He uses an eight-line stanza with pentameter lines, and it got this cool mirroring rhyme, A-B-A-B-B-C-B-C. It's as if you could fold the stanza between lines four and five, and you'd get this really neat symmetry. Here are the rhyme sounds for stanza one in the original. Black, fos, crack, cross, vos, go, endos, sepulcro. And, by the by... That Latin phrase at the end of each stanza means something like, the Lord is risen from the grave. It's a macaronic refrain, if you'd like to impress your friends. The first stanza establishes Christ as the warrior. It's the setup for the metaphor. Now, in it, he's romantic, chivalric hero, slaying the dragon and rescuing all us damsels. Stanza two shifts the focus to the defeated devil, with a number of animal analogies. We get the dragon, the serpent, the tiger. Tiger? I get the first two, dragons and serpents, classic devil animals. And yeah, tigers are terrifying. But it does seem an odd way for Dunbar to fulfill the rule of three. We switch back to Christ in the third stanza with his own animal imageries. The lamb, a classic, right? And a lion. Now, in the bestiary... The lion is noble, brave, and fierce, and, of course, as the bestiary states, quote, Now Leo in Greek is translated to King Rex in Latin, because he is the ruler of all beasts. King of the jungle, baby. Think about Aslan in C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. It's kind of a smack you in the face with a neon tennis racket, obvious allegory for Jesus. 
maybe the earlier tiger then is a counterpoint, you know, bad kitty. We get some classical allusions too. Christ is associated with Apollo, so the son of God is associated with the god of the sun. We got uh, we got him rising in righteousness, so we have Aurora, the goddess of the dawn. And we even get a, a, a subtle nod to Samson, the last Israelite judge and strongman when he refers to the, the giant. Then there's some rather conventional hymnal sentiments. You know, we're told that Christ's sacrifice is necessary for our sins. Dunbar allegorizes the darkness that fell during the crucifixion as a, quote, pale sun that now shines brightly to dispel the darkness. But then the poem takes, for us, a dark turn itself. No doubt you noticed the line indicating that, quote, the Jews and their error are confounded. Why is Jewishness in error, but not Greco-Roman classicism? There are traditional, if uncomfortable, answers, of course. The classical world became Christendom, and Judaism rejected the idea of Jesus as the Messiah. This, sadly and tragically, leads to the millennia of anti-Semitism at the hands of Christian churches, governments, and individuals. Certainly, the line included here none too subtly leagues the Jews with the defeated devil. Dunbar uses the verb confounded in both instances. It's an interesting verb, though. Its oldest form meant to pour or to mix— but it comes to mean in the Middle Ages to destroy or to ruin, as well as to curse and condemn. So Dunbar exploits all of these meanings here. Unfortunately, it's in the service of a poem that facilitates an anti-Jewish fantasy. We can fairly question whether Dunbar or anyone in Scotland or England had ever met a Jewish person. Jews were expelled from England by King Edward I back in 1290, and while Scotland never had a similar proscription, that's probably because there was nearly no Jewish population in Scotland, rather than Scotland's medieval religious toleration. So, the Jew and Jewishness for most medieval Christians in the British Isles were, in some sense, creatures of imagination, characters from stories often repeated. They were tropes, albeit powerful ones, more than flesh-and-blood people. Anti-Jewish policies like expulsion did nothing to alleviate the Jewish threat as envisioned by Christian monarchs, but rather, I think, exaggerated it, making it exclusively a property of fantasy. And this, of course, has led to untold suffering for millions of Jewish people for centuries Because an illusion is, by definition, not human. And what is not human does not deserve our moral consideration. This ugly dynamic is not strange to us in the 21st century, as demagogues and populists have revised these very old and terrible tropes. So, this Easter... We have a poem that in almost every sense embodies some aspect of English medieval culture and literature. It's got alliteration. It's got accentual verse. It's got romance, religiosity, chivalry, allegory. But it traffics in the fears and prejudices of its time. Easter and the Jewish celebration of Passover 
are at base recognitions of a very human need for freedom and redemption and a generosity of imagination and spirit that serves us all. Happy Easter. Hag Semeach. Thanks for listening.